Well, hello again, everyone, and it's great to see you here. And if you're a guest with us today, thank you for being patient as we uh, just had an update on some church family life. And as well, today is a baptism Sunday. Uh, we have a young person, a young adult, uh, being baptized in our first service, and then a, another adult being baptized in our second service. So uh, baptism Sunday is always a great Sunday, and we look forward to that. We uh, are continuing in our series, Love and Marriage, where we are looking at God's design for marriage. If you're married or you're planning to get married, God's design is that you and your spouse, husband and wife, that you would be one as you journey through life. Two distinct individuals sharing love. Two distinct individuals experiencing an inner closeness, a connectedness that they have all the way through all the days of their Life, And if that is going to happen, then this relationship has to be a priority. It has to be first before anything else other than God. It has to be before work. It has to be before any hobbies. It has to be even before children. That this has to be a priority. There has to be time and energy given to this relationship. And not only is it to be a priority, but for it to work, there needs to be an ongoing commitment of pursuing each other, of working uh, at the marriage. You cannot be lazy. You have to work at marriage. And last week, we talked about serving one another uh, in a marriage. Next week, as we conclude the series, we're talking about growing with each other in marriage. Today, we're talking about forgiving each other in marriage marriage. And if you're single here, uh, this applies, the principles we're learning apply uh, to, to all relationships. So this message is for you as well. And uh, great, mess, great marriages are made up of good forgivers. When you've got two good forgivers, that's, you're, you're heading towards a great marriage. My wife Lisa and I, uh, in our marriage, are at a point where we've had, we have more understanding more love and uh, more unity than ever before, and we're looking forward to the days ahead. But it's taking, taken a lot of forgiving. You have to, we have to as couples, learn how to deal with conflict and anger. We have to learn how to deal, and that's what we're looking at today. And if there's a young couple here and you're like, you know what, we look around and we see other couples and they have their problems, but not us. Nobody's experienced the love like we have. Okay, write this down. You will have conflict. There will be times where there's something about that person that you don't particularly like. There'll be times where there'll be hurts and misunderstandings. Okay, Inev conflict is inevitable because we are fallen. We are imperfect. You get two imperfect people together, you're going to have to work through that. Uh, if you're on the other side of the spectrum where you say, you know what, we know all about conflict and anger. Uh, right now, I'm carrying anger, or right now, I, I, I am, I confess I'm bitter, or right now, um, uh, I just can't get by what's been done. I just keep rehearsing it, and, and uh, I'm distant, I'm cold, and really, I'm unforgiving. If that describes you, I want to tell you there is hope with Jesus Christ. A good marriage takes two people, and uh, that's a wonderful thing. But when there's only one person that wants to work on their marriage, God can still work in that person's life. There's hope for you. And so today we're going to talk about these key ingredients of, of giving grace and forgiveness 
to each other. And when we do it, even if your marriage, there's things going on, grace and forgiveness doesn't automatically mean your marriage is going to be restored to harmony. It doesn't mean that the trust is rebuilt and there's reconciliation, but it does mean it opens the door to that. So having a forgiving and gracious heart is key. And again, if you don't, maybe you're hearing, I don't think I could forgive. When you obey God, he gives you the capacity to experience more things that you never thought possible. So there's hope for everyone. So let's begin. We're going to look at five different passages today as we talk about having a gracious and forgiving heart in marriage. Great marriages are made up of two good forgivers. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The transla- one translation and correct understanding is be angry and sin not. We're told in Scripture to be slow to become angry. But we are, there are times, and we should have a righteous indignation at things, that things should cause us to be angry. But we need to deal with that anger redemptively. We're not to sin. And we're not to let the sun go down while we're still angry. That we're not to let that anger and the conflict just kind of linger. But we need to deal with it right away because if we don't, if, if we just, we just, there's conflict in your marriage and you don't deal with it, that, that anger, that conflict, that bitterness, it can grow, it can take root, and, and it's just not good. In fact, Paul says, when you do that, you're opening the door of your life, of your marriage to the devil, your adversary, who is a deceiver, divider, he comes to seek, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you just open the door, let him set up camp. He can destroy your marriage. He can destroy your physical health. He can destroy your emotional health, your spiritual health. Deal with that conflict and anger. Now, before we move on, I want to ask uh, the question, what causes anger in a marriage? What causes conflict in a marriage? Well, there's a number of reasons. Uh, I'm going to share four. You could list more, I'm sure. One is immaturity. When you have one spouse or or both spouses that are immature, uh, they're uh, insensitive, or they're selfish, or they're self-righteous, or they're irresponsible, that leads to conflict and anger. Uh, Stress. Stress leads to anger. Uh, Especially if you're here and you have uh, young children, oh my goodness, as a mom and then dad, and, and you add in work and activities, there's lots of stress that can happen in a marriage and then that, that can cause conflict and anger. Another one is unrealistic expectations. Uh, if you're an idealist, you really need to pay attention. Okay, realists, not so much, but if you're an idealist, we have these expectations of our spouse that in, in are unrealistic, and we have to adjust them. We have to work. Not saying we just accept uh, certain things about our spouse. Next week, we're going to talk about encouraging in Christ each other to grow, but there's things that aren't going to be perfect about your spouse. Everybody with me so far? Okay, unrealistic expectation. And then fourth, this is a key one, especially for young people to understand, is there are differences. 
which cause conflict and anger. Uh, I'm using the word unfamiliar di differences. When you're ignorant of, of how your spouse is wired, that's going to lead to conflict and argument. Uh, one, one of you is uh, um, neat, the other one not so neat. One's an extrovert, one's an introvert. There's so many differences that can cause anger. So many ways of doing things, of raising the kids, of doing the meals, of doing these things, these differences that can lead to conflict and anger. So Paul says, okay, you're angry, but deal with it right away. And don't you sin. Get rid of it. He, uh, down to verse 31. He continues, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. So that's that, that simmering resentment that you're carrying. Get rid of that. The, the rage and anger, get rid of your temper and all of those outbursts. Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Get rid of contempt. Get rid of ill will. Get, get rid of all of that. Don't carry that. And then he says this instead. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Listen, in your relationship, you're turning to each other. And you're kind and compassionate. And here it is. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, as a Christian with the cross of Jesus at the center of your marriage, that makes all the difference of how you relate to one another. Because you cannot separate your relationship with God and your relationship with each other. The vertical flows into the horizontal. So if God and I'm focusing on God and what he's done for me, that he's forgiven me, that that grace and forgiveness from him not only flows to me, but now it flows through me to my spouse. And the more I can go to the cross daily, and this is why daily worship is so important. This is why coming to church is so important. So we don't lose sight of, we don't forget what God has done for us in the cross that flows through me, uh, to me, and then through me. Jesus at the center of the marriage is to make all the difference. Now, in my marriage to my wife, Lisa, uh, over the years, we've used a pattern, uh, lots of people use it, where uh, if there's hurt or disagreement or anger, uh, we confront, we confess, we forgive, and we reconcile. So can I give you a nice example of how that works? One directive that we had uh, when we first got married uh, and it's very practical wisdom, one directive from Scripture that we embraced was that we were not going to go to bed angry. We were not going to let the sun go down on our anger, and we didn't, so we wouldn't sin. And uh, as I look back over the years, there's not been a lot of times that we've been angry going to bed. There's, you know, times that, hey, she, you know, I wasn't thrilled about her, and she wasn't thrilled about me. Uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of times. But there was one time, and it's the most recent time, a year and a half ago, so summer 2021, where... Yeah, we had to work at Conflict and Anger. We uh, were at Stanley Park in BC. Uh, I had, I, when I was, the kids were younger, I had this dream that the three kids, my wife and I would go out west, you know, through the Rocky Mountains. And uh, that didn't happen, that window passed, I thought it was closed. And uh, something came up in the summer 2021 and where all five of us could go. So we hopped on a plane and flew out there, rented a car. And for seven days, it was my dream. And every single box was checked off. I loved it. It was like the best time with my family. And the whole time together, my kids were like 19, 21, 23, I think at the time, with my wife and I. 
uh, the whole time, we never had one single disagreement. We love being together. Uh, we work well together. We're just, it was a blast traveling throughout the Rockies and doing life. It was awesome, except there was one fight between the husband and the wife. <laughs> we're in Stanley Park. It's day five. Uh, it's a little later in the afternoon, and we're getting ready to go. And uh, four of the five of us are there, just along, out on the water. And my oldest son, who has a heart for street people, for the poor, for refugees, he had asked, hey, while we're here, could I bike, get a bike and bike to East Vancouver? Because for a number of reasons. So he said, sure. So he went to East Vancouver, and we we're going to pick him up somewhere there, because you could leave the bike there. And so my wife's on the phone with him, trying to figure out a place where we're uh, going to pick him up. And so we hop in the car, and if you've been to Stanley Park, and especially when it's a busier time of the day, there's cars you know, coming in and going out, and there's a few exits. And I'm driving, and I'm not sure what, what exit to take because um, I'm not sure where we're picking him up. And so I'm driving around, and I've been such a wonderful husband all week long, and... <laughs> driving so good and I'm just like driving and then my wife I hear in the back seat she's in the back seat uh, there with, with one of my children the other is in the front with me and uh, she says to my other son um, well your dad just won't pull over are you kidding me <laughs> I turned around and I really was upset and two of my kids had a front row seat it was not good and uh, eventually, we did pull over, we picked him up, and then from Vancouver, the hour back, it was late in the day, everybody's tired, so it was quiet. The hour back from Vancouver to Hope, BC, where our Airbnb was, nobody said a word, and for an hour, I was presenting my case in front of the jury. <laughs> and to a person, all 12 of them, said, the husband is innocent, she is guilty. All I kid you not, I felt so, and she wasn't, I'm waiting for her the whole trip to say, Dan, I'm just so sorry I said that. Will you forgive me? That was just not the right, the whole trip. We get back uh, to the Airbnb, the kids go to bed, her and I go down to the bathroom, shut the door, we're not going to bed angry. We're there for an hour in this little bathroom, just, <laughs> it was not pretty, it just not, just going around and around in circles. Again, when you are tired and your heart rate is up, you're not in a place to resolve things and come up with good solutions. So for an hour, I went to bed that night, got an hour of sleep at best. But the next morning, before we left, we dealt with the issue again, her and I. Confessed, confronted, confessed, forgave, and reconciled. We hopped in the car, and day six and day seven was a blast. Few notes about that pattern and how we use it. First, confronting. It has to be, again, in a loving, positive way. You never start attacking because the person is not the issue. The issue is the issue. You're fighting for your connection together. So you're not coming with your, your guns loaded. And you're coming with the right language. It's not... You are, it's when you do this, I feel this. So when you said this, this is how I felt. Well, this is what I meant. And so you talk. It has to be a safe environment. If it's not safe, 
you're not going to work through conflict because one of the persons, if there's a power imbalance, like the other person might go ballistic. They might shame me. They might bully me. They might, like, okay, I forget I ever brought it up. That's not a safe environment. You've got to work, and especially if you've got young kids and you're all stressed, you've got to work at being less defensive. You're focused on the issue. And this is, this is huge, okay? Young people, write this down. Most of the stuff in marriage we take as personal, we take as it's an intentional. One of the things I learned, I wish I learned this years ago, but part of being married, we're imperfect people and there's just differences in things. And it's not like my wife at times when she does something that she's, you know, doing something to me. And when I do something, I'm doing something to her. We're just different people. So if you, the way you create a safe environment is you're not defensive. When they say something, you let them talk, you listen to understand, not to reply. You're trying to, to get their perspective. So you're not attacking your understanding. So, and you're focusing on the issue, you're fighting for connection. So that's the first thing, confronting. And then there's the whole confession, where you talk about something, and one person says, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me? And for my wife and I, we say sorry when there's no real in, ill intent. We say, will you forgive me when there is an intent? And uh, so we talked, and um, some of the times I'm kind of fully to blame, like 99% to blame, and she maybe did something or said something, and she's 1%. Sometimes maybe it's the other way, not too often, but 99 to 1. <laughs> In this case, I felt I was 95%, uh, uh, she was 95% wrong, I was 5% right. She thought I was 95% wrong, she was 5% right. Guess how we resolved it? We both said we were wrong. No winners and losers. We just said, okay. And sometimes that um, confession and that confronting, um, and you can work through the next stage for forgiveness, and you can do that in two hours. Sometimes it takes longer than that. But after there's this confession, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, forgive me, and kiss and make up, doom. We're in the car, day six and seven. Forgiveness is key, not just receiving it, but giving it. You give it, and then you receive it. It's both of them. And then fourth is reconciliation. We're okay, are we good? Yep, we're good, let's get in the car and go. Now, the, can I just stop for a moment and share this about reconciliation? And this is where, if you don't make this distinction, some people, they have a struggle to forgive because they don't understand trust and reconciliation. They're two different things. Forgiveness, there's four, three Hebrew words and four Greek words that we translate as forgive, and they have different senses, but the sense, the, the sense is to cancel a debt. That's what, when someone offends, someone sins, there's a debt that's owed that person, that's owed God. And it's to cancel that debt, okay? Forgiveness isn't minimizing what's been done. It's not forgetting what's been done. It isn't um, allowing the person to, you know, just continue to do that to me, no. But what it is, is you're releasing that person from the payment. You're canceling that debt. Now with reconciliation, trust and reconciliation, that's something different. I forgive my spouse, I forgive other people whether they want my forgiveness or not. It's something in my heart. I do. Couple repents. The one repents. The other forgives. That's a beautiful thing. But if there's two, the couple, there's the two of them, and one of them has committed an offense and doesn't repent, and maybe there's a pattern. You think of adultery and betrayal. There's a pattern there. 
Forgiving doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to trust you again and welcome you back into my life. Trust, when it's broken, has to be earned. Reconciliation, for it to happen, there not only needs to be repentance of the one person, but a change in the one person. And then there's boundaries put in place. So again, please understand the difference between forgiveness and trust and reconciliation. Forgiveness opens the door to trust and reconciliation. So if, if there's been betrayal, it opens the door, and, and in time, the relationship can be restored. At other times, the relationship isn't restored because the one person uh, is, is not repenting. So please under, understand that. So confront, confess, forgive, and then uh, reconcile. The forgiven, forgive. Okay, what's the motive? If you're hearing like, that sounds really good, but I still don't always feel like forgiving. I'm still, it's hard for me. Um, I want to invite you to, to look at our second text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you get the cross in view and what's been done to you and for you, if that's your focus, it will override, oversee what's been done to you, as horrific as it is. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul sees the cross and he says his love compels us. When you have a husband and wife and they're both focused on the cross, they're both living for Jesus, that love is what drives their life, what drives their marriage, what drives... Um, how they do things. They're no longer living for themselves, but they're living for Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When you became a, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you experienced new life, you were saved from your sins, and from that moment, you're a new creation. You have a new identity. I belong to Jesus. You have a new destination. I'm going to live with Jesus. Everything changed about you. And Paul says, all of this goodness in your life is all from God. He's the one that brought about the reconciliation. Reconciliation means to restore harmony. All of us sinned. All of us were going to an eternity apart from God because there's a debt. There's a debt that has to be paid Okay, sin, uh, in the terms, uh, the word used here in this passage is an archery term, and it simply means to miss the mark. And you can miss the mark by a little or a lot. And the reality is, we've all missed the mark with God. Some of us by a lot, others by a little, but we've all missed it. And the result is, we owe God a debt. He's a holy God. Somebody has to answer for the wrong things we've done. So we were alienated from God, estranged from God, but this God, all this is from God, he came after us while we're still sinners. Christ died on the cross for us. He's the one that brought about the restored harmony. Goes, Paul goes on to say, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, noticing, notice this, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Notice that he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. If you're a follower of Jesus, your message that you carry through life in your marriage but outside of your marriage is one of restoring harmony. We live in a world where everybody puts up walls. You're in that tribe. I'm in that tribe. I saw the headline just in the story the other day of a newspaper. It said, Parliament turns ugly, uh, character, attacking each other's character or something like that. We see it in government, we see it in schools, we see it everywhere where people are putting up walls and we're better than you, we don't like you. Not the Christian. The Christian is trying to break down those walls because the Christian has been committed the message of reconciliation. If you're here, and we're just diverting from marriage a bit, and you're full of glee when someone else gets it, can I tell you, You're an ambassador for Jesus. An ambassador doesn't represent himself in another place. He's not living for himself. An ambassador is living for the one that sent him, the one he's representing. And your ambassador in this fallen, divided world is God. And God says, for God so loved the world. I love that person that you don't agree with. I love that person that, that you may dislike. I love that person. So we're not out trying to build up walls. You stay there. It's all to do with bringing about harmony. And in a marriage relationship, it starts there. That your posture is not like this, going through life with your spouse. Your posture is to be open. And then Paul then shares this verse at the end of this thought. He says this in verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the gospel. There's the good news. This is the greatest thing in in history. This is what you highlight in your Bible. God made his son Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. And then in in return, we were made right with God. The righteousness of God, right with God. So here you are. You owe God a debt, and you return from him. He comes after you, and it's all of him. He saves you, and he says, give me all of your sin, every last single sin that you've done, and he places it on his son Jesus, and Jesus pays for it on the cross. And he, he's the only one that could do it because he's sinless. He pays for all your sin on the cross. And then God says, now I'm giving you the robe of righteousness of my son Jesus. So when I see you, you are forgiven, you are holy, you are blameless, you have a future. It's the best news you could ever hear. And the question is, wait a second, is that fair? God gives us his grace and forgiveness and his righteousness We give him our sin. Is that fair? No, it's not. Please understand this about God. God is always just, but he's not always fair. If he was fair, he'd give you what you deserve. And when you go to the cross daily and remind yourself of this greatest thing in your life, that he has given me his grace and forgiveness, I have a future with him forever. I I don't deserve it. I could never earn it. I don't know why he's chosen me. But when you understand that grace and forgiveness, it not only flows to you, but through you. You're going through life different. You're going through life like, it's not all about me. It's not if I'm always right. It's, you're not reading you know, uh, between the lines and you're not, oh, what do they think? What it, no, you're just like a person. Just here, more grace and more mercy. It comes out of a worship of God. The key to grace, giving grace and mercy to others is you stop thinking about what's been done to you. And yes, there's a place for that. But you start thinking about what has been done for you. 
you go to the cross again and again so that his grace can go through you. David says it this way in Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all our sins, who does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God's grace and mercy, we don't deserve it. God's forgiveness, it's unearned. Third and fourth text. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your spouse and with each other, they're inseparable. So if there is conflict and anger, you've got to work towards harmony. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking about anger says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So Dan, if you're going to church and you're coming to worship me, you're a Christian, and you remember that your wife Lisa, um, there's something still unresolved, not quite right, um, kind of get up from your seat, head out of church, and go back and be reconciled to her. That as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to go to my spouse. And then we read this in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, that would be against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So, oh, if my wife Lisa has done something to me, I am to go and lovingly confront in a proper manner. I'm to go to her and to work it out. So, as a husband... I've got no choice. If I've done something to her, I'm going to work it out. If she's done something to me, I'm going to work it out. And then same with her. So we're always going. We're always, I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. Your marriage is not about you. It's about Jesus and the bride. It's about saying, I want to show you, Jesus. Let your grace and mercy flow through me. We can begin to see good things when we open up our heart to grace and forgiveness. God has something on the other side if we're just, if we'd have that faith. And then the last passage, the fifth passage, is from Romans 12. What if your spouse doesn't want to ask for forgiveness? What if your spouse is not walking with God and, and uh, doesn't want to work on your marriage? What do you do then? Well, Paul talks about that sort of thing in Romans 12, beginning in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. So if your spouse has has done something wrong, don't take uh, revenge. If if they've hurt you, again, you're not going to stay in an abusive situation, but if your spouse is, is, is just not being the greatest to you, you're not repaying evil for evil. You're not taking revenge. Instead, what are you doing? What are we doing? But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What if my spouse doesn't ask for forgiveness? What do I do then? I release the offense, the anger, and the hurt to God. I give him room to act. Just a few things. Why don't we forgive? A number of reasons. One is if, you're self, if we're self-righteous, we don't need to forgive, right? 
They've got the problem, not me. Uh, another one, though, is there, there's a, a short-term power in not forgiving. If your spouse has done something against you, you've got like your trump card. You can walk around for a while and kind of not treat them very nicely. You can be passive-aggressive, do all these different things. And every once in a while, they're like, well, you know, they bring something to your attention. Oh, trump card. You still owe me. Walk around a couple more weeks, you still owe me. It's a short-term destructive power. We think that if we hold on to the grudge and we hold on to the resentment, we hold it, that we're like, it's good for us. Yeah, there's a short-term power, but it's always detrimental in the end. Now, why does God want us to forgive? I don't want to forgive. Why does God want me to forgive? Because God wants me to be free. You've heard this before, but bitterness, anger, all that. Bitterness is the poison you drink while you wait for the other person to die. That when you forgive, you're setting a prisoner free and you realize the prisoner is yourself, right? As long as that you're, you're not forgiving, that person that's done that to you is controlling you. And it's interesting, our therape therapeutic world and in, in, in those that aren't Christians, they'll say, you want to be free, which is so true. It's so good. You have to forgive them. But as a Christian, it's not just about your freedom. It's about your spouse's freedom, the other person's freedom, because you want them to be free too. Ultimately, here's the thing we need to realize if you're going to forgive, nobody gets away with anything in God's economy. He's just, he has to judge sin. So one of the reasons we, we hold on is we're like, well, God, if I give you what's been done to me, he doesn't, or she doesn't, he doesn't, she doesn't think that they need to forgive. They don't really care. God, one of the things we think that if I just forgive them, again, it's just me and my heart, that somehow they're going to get away with it. They're not. God's a just judge. He's going to judge it. And for you, when you understand heaven and hell, it's like, oh, my, my biggest concern is not that they say sorry to me, is that they get right with God. Because that's a bigger deal. And there have been Christians, and you can listen, testimony after testimony, who have been mistreated by a spouse or by parents or other people, other relationships, and have said, I'm going to leave this to God. I'm releasing my anger, my hurt. They, they owe me, but I'm giving it to God, and instead that I'm doing good to them, as Paul says here, he's echoing Jesus, pray for your enemies, bless them, do good to them, who, who they've given it to God, and then that other person, in time there's repentance, and they're like, why are you doing this? And they get right with God. Not always, but what you're doing is you're leaving room for, your, for God to, to work. So don't allow a life where you're carrying hurt and anger. Deal with it before the sun goes down. Sometimes it's a little bit of a break, but you've got to deal with it. You don't carry it. You forgive as God has forgiven you. So I ask, or I mentioned that good marriages are made up of two good forgivers. And I want to ask you, in your marriage, are you giving grace and forgiveness to your spouse? Are you giving grace and forgiveness to your spouse? Are you quick to say, hey, let's talk, let's confront? Are you qu quick to confess, hey, both of us, like, okay, we, we want to say sorry and forgive, ask for forgiveness? Are you quick to forgive? And then are you quick to reconcile? That's God's will, that we would be one through life. In just a moment, we're going to pray, and um, I'm going to ask you, to, if you would, if you'd stand, and we're going to bow our heads. Would you join with me as we pray? And I want to ask you first, 
If you are married, how's it going with you and your spouse? Are things good? Or is there something you need to work out? And again, there's people at Woodside that would love to come alongside of you and help. Please reach out. But maybe today God's saying something to you. Is there a step you need to take? And then maybe there's a relationship and it's not a a husband-wife, a spouse relationship, but it's a friend or a family member. Are you doing what God has called you to do? I invite you right now to go to the cross and once again receive the grace and forgiveness of God of all your sins that you've been reconciled to Him. And out of that, then you would go and try to be reconciled with someone else. May God speak to you. And if you're here today and you've heard the message about Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins so that you could be reconciled, made right with God, and you know in your heart you've never put your faith in Jesus, today you can turn from your sin and turn to him and say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I need you to save me from my sins. I invite you into my life. I surrender my life. I want to be your follower. I want new life with you, Jesus. Today, you can do that. We have a God who says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, you can begin your journey with God. If there's someone saying yes to Jesus today, we want to encourage you to share that with someone else, that decision. It's the greatest decision you'll make. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Help us at Woodside to never, ever forget it, that we may live in light of it. For your glory, our good, and the good of others, we pray. Amen.